0: open the word of the Lord to Psalms 23. Psalms 23, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. We've been studying uh, the, the chapter, it's a pastoral chapter, but today I want to take a tangent because we, we're, it's amazing, December the 1st, wow, the year's almost over. I'm blown away how quick this year has passed. And now we're in a time where, um, where we as, as Christians, uh, and really really throughout the world, we celebrate this time. Although, it, I, don't, I don't know if, if, if it's just me, but lately the word Christmas has come in, into attack or in attack. <laughs> they're attacking anything Christmas, anything Christian, anything Jesus. And it's like they're trying to sanitize Christmas. You know, that's, it's insane. I would have never thought here in the United States that this would happen. People are getting fired because of this word. They're getting, they're, they're getting berated. They're being called bigot. Yeah. They're, they're being told you can't wear this t-shirt that says Christmas, whatever it may be. Wow, it's a very interesting time we are living in. But I don't get afraid. You know why I don't get afraid? Because God's people have always excelled in any type of landscape. We're just so used to America being so friendly to Christianity that now that it's becoming a little antagonistic, uh, we get concerned. Oh my God, what's going to happen? What was We're going to continue worshiping. Let, let me ask you a question. Um, would you want the, da- the ministry of Daniel? Would you want the ministry of Joseph? What was his church? What was his ministry? Daniel's ministry was serving pagan kings. And yet the Bible says he excelled. If he didn't get his prophecy right though, they would cut his head off. So it was not like, like us. We can say whatever we want and no we no pressure, right? No, no pressure. Just by tomorrow morning, if you cannot discern and, and interpret this dream, your head comes off. I mean, that's a ministry, huh? Wow. What what about Joseph? No problem. Prison. Prison for a couple of years. Go prophesy to the prisoners. So we've been comfortable, but the bottom line is both of those men stood right before kings. Daniel ministered to at least three kings in their reign. I'm talking about lengthy reigns. And God used them mightily. He prospered mightily. What about uh, Joseph? God blessed Joseph in the midst of a pharaoh. I mean, this doesn't get more antagonistic than that. And yet, during that time, he was able to speak into Pharaoh's life, and I'm not going to use the word manipulate Pharaoh, but he was able to allow God's wisdom to flow through him, through Pharaoh, to the rest of the known world. To the extent that not only Egypt was ministered to, but also Israel was ministered to. And out of that, by extension, his own family was able to receive provision, sustenance, protection, prosperity, Even in the midst of a famine, they were eating well. Why? Because the word of the Lord, the wisdom of God flowed through them. Praise God. And they learned to trust the voice of the Lord. So that blows me away. Blows me away. And this king, he was a shepherd by nature. And we've been talking about that many weeks. I'm not going to go through the specifics again. But needless to say, as a shepherd, he saw God as the great shepherd. So he said it this way. Psalms 23, verse 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or in other words, I I don't need anything because he provides for all my needs. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sheep, you know, will not lie down if they're nervous or they're afraid. But yet he causes me to lie down as his sheep and rest and be able to be beside uh, green pastures leads me beside still waters. Notice it didn't just say waters because sheep could not be by waters that were choppy because they were afraid. Because if they got wet, their wool would get heavy, they'll fall down under the pressure, and they would not be able to get up. It would cause them to become paralyzed in their forward momentum. He restores my soul, He heals me, He leads me in the paths of righteousness. All of that God does, but then it says here, for His name's sake. See, He is holy, He's righteous, what He promises, He fulfills. For His own name's sake. Then last time we discussed this, before Thanksgiving, we spoke about some of the names of God. How He is our provider. He is our protector. He is our shield. He is our banner. He goes before us in war. The shepherd would always go before the sheep, before they even got up. He would prepare terrain for them he'd make sure that the place where he was going to take them had green grass had green uh, or rather provision and he knew exactly where uh, the wolf would come from or the lion would come from and with the, obviously his rod he would protect them so the sheep all have, they had to do is show up and and receive provision right but this thing about his namesake praise god father we thank you for your word Dear Holy Spirit, I pray that you illuminate our minds now, our very hearts, our very spirit man, that we would be able to understand what you're saying to us in this time, in this season. Father, we thank you for your word. Dear Holy Spirit, reveal your truth to us, for you are our teacher. We'll be careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated in God's presence. There's an illustration that was shared by a gentleman, by Alan Balabat. He says, just a few days before Christmas, a postal worker at the main sorting office found an unstamped, handwritten, messy envelope addressed to God. You know, that happens. People send letters to God, send letters to Santa, and, you know, so many times the post office would grab these things and sometimes they even would take care of it. They would even take care of the need that is addressed there. So when he opened it, he discovered that it was from an elderly woman who was in great distress because all of her savings, $200, had been stolen. So as a result, she wouldn't have anything to eat for Christmas. Now the man went to his fellow postal workers, and they took up a collection, these postal workers. For out of their own pocket, they took a collection, and they raised up $180. So uh, the, post, the, the postal man, he uh, put the money in, in a plain envelope with no note or anything else. The postal worker sent it by special courier to the woman that very day. A week later, the same postal worker noticed another unstamped letter that had been addressed to God in the same handwriting, and in it, he found a brief note. He said, Dear God, thank you for the $180 that you sent me for Christmas, which would have been so bleak otherwise. P.S. It was short $20, but that was probably those thieving workers at the post office. kind of sad, isn't it? <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is we receive gifts and they're always precious and they always meet a need. And the greatest gift, however, meets every need. Yeah. In John 3, uh, 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave, that word give, gave, it's a gift freely, not because he was compelled to do so by anybody twisting his arm or anything like that. He was compelled by love, motivated by love to give this gift. And it is his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Amen. In James 1.17 it says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So, our God and Heavenly Father, He's a giver, and He loves giving gifts to His people. Why? Because He loves us. We're His children, we're His creations. He enjoys that. Now, I don't know about you and me, but we enjoy giving gifts, right? Amen, Amen, amen. Minister Al loves and enjoys giving gifts. I'm serious. Let's say somebody you love, maybe say a child, maybe a coworker, and, and you heard, you overheard they need something, and you were in a position to get that for them. Come that day, whether it be a birthday, or whether it be Christmas, you hand them that gift. How do you feel at the moment? Awesome. How else? I don't want everybody talking at the same time because you just so confuse me. How do you feel when you're ready to give a gift that you know is going to bless that person? Huh? Great, excited. I would add emotional. I'm I'm looking for the facial reaction. you know, Especially when they've been told they can't have it. And suddenly you know that that's exactly what they're going to receive. So they're starting to open and you're getting more excited. I think you're more excited than they are. Why? Because there's such a pleasure in giving. Really. When it comes from the heart. When you know it's going to bless somebody that's very important to you, right? So, the bottom line is, gifts actually convey the importance of the other person. Because they mean something to you. Gifts are vital because you're saying to that person they have worth to you. In the the New Testament, the Magi, or or these very wise men, they came over and presented to to Jesus gifts. But it was not just any type of gift. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold, frankincense, and myrrh is very interesting because we recognize gold is something very precious, very unique. Every king, every kingdom has gold. When you put a crown on a king, usually what does it contain? Precious jewels, gold. definitely has gold silver and you know, things that are precious but gold is always first in line yes. right and these wise men they came to give gifts was it an afterthought no. i don't think so because they were very case specific but they were also very prophetic yes. because what they were coming to see was a little baby and bottom line he was not born in the throne he was not born in the king's house he was born in a manger. Now, we've sanitized that word manger, but the word manger actually means a place where animals are living and dwelling. That's where they eat. That's where they fulfill their needs. So it was not a very desirable place. So not for me, uh, rather, not for nothing, but me, I would not look for a king in that place. Isn't that true? true? But yet, here was a child that would be king one day, and yet these three men were insightful enough to bring gifts specific, tailored for a king. Amen. It was prophetic gifts, identifying the first and foremost that he was a king. But number two, it was not just gold, it was also frankincense. Frankincense was an aromatic spice that in its pure form came out of a trunk of a tree, it was white. And if you were able to put fire in it, it would consume, it would burn completely. It was interesting to note that this king that was about ready to be born was going to be consumed on the cross. Yes, His life was going to be consumed as a sacrifice for all of mankind. Yes. So could that be also a coincidence that these three wise men were giving him a gift of frankincense? No, I don't think so. I think it was very prophetic. Because yes. that child was not only going to be a gift to us in terms of being a king for us, Right? and give us leadership, and take us on a journey. But also, he was going to die for us, because he was going to be the the perfect sacrifice so that mankind could come back into fellowship with Almighty God. And then the third thing was myrrh. That was an aromatic, very strong spice that actually retards spoilage. And it's used to embalm bodies. Interesting, because this, this baby was going to die for mankind. So it also represents sufferings. That child was going to be born to suffer. Yes. Amen. In a representative way for you and for me. Now we know that gold is a one-time gift. Once it's given, that's it, forever. Uh, also frankincense is <laughs> very close, you know, very close. Luckily, this is not on video or anything like that. Right? So frankincense was also something that as soon as you burn it, you don't get it back. It's gone. So the first two were a one-time thing. But yet myrrh was given to Jesus in the beginning and at the end because suffering was going to be his lot in life. And he did so willingly. This was not a sacrifice that ran away until caught. And even when he's caught, he's dragging, he's he's crying. No, no. He went willingly to the cross, obeying the Heavenly Father Compelled, once again, by love for you and for me. So you have these men. They were wise men. Say with me, wise. Wise. Now, wisdom is very important. The Bible says a house is built with wisdom. And what God's people are understanding is we have a lot of emotional Christianity. But many people don't have an experience with God that is is connected with wisdom. Most Christians, I would say today... Uh, that go to church casually have a connection with God, but it's mostly emotional. And they're saying, you know, God is good. Uh, he, I paid my bill last week. But the minute they get into suffering, they, they, they think that God forgot about them. They think that, that God doesn't love them. They think that something's wrong, and they go through this guilt complex. Well, I must have done something wrong because I'm suffering. No, 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 no. Sometimes in, in our lives, we'll go through process. And in the process, God is he's filtering out stuff that's in you that is not good for you. Amen. It's natural to your nature, natural to your past, but not good for your future. Amen. Yeah. See, before we behaved in certain ways. We had certain habits that we developed in the streets or whatever it might be, or maybe cultural, maybe from our own families. But now we come to Christ. God saves us. He declares us righteous, but now he starts working on you. One of his names is Potter, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know Potter understands uh, the process uh, of taking silly putty, you know, or something so mundane. Gets it in his hands and he starts slapping it, starts, you know, he starts, you know, massaging it and making it into, you know, throws it on maybe a, a um, uh, maybe a flat slate. Or maybe a, a circular thing. and He starts. And that's what God does with us. That's right here. He says, I've got to take that stuff away from you. Because in the past, that was destroying you. But now you're coming into a new future. And I need to remake you. Amen. So in order to remake you, I have to break you. On. Come on, amen, amen. Come on. We love the Sunday service when no more shackles, no more. <laughs> I don't know if that song is 100% scriptural. Because this is no more pain. no more shack sometimes pain you know but the the bottom line the bottom line is if we get scriptural when God is processing us when he's cutting away the flesh from us when he's cutting away things that are destructive habits ability or not abilities tendencies that we have proclivities that we have uh, God sometimes has has got to is this son this is going to hurt you a little but it's good pain you know when you go through an operation you actually go to the doctor. Say, doctor, what's the matter with me? Uh, you have some inside. needs to be cut out. Okay. He says, all right, good. Now, um, you're going to need to pay me $150,000 in order for me to excise that from you. And what do you do? Do you throw a tantrum? So how dare you. No. You go, here's a check. Or you give him your insurance. Isn't that true? And then he tells you, I need for you to come here Monday at 830 because I need to operate. So what do you do? You're not going to touch me. Nobody's going to cut me. No. What you do is you get up and you're there at 8.30 in the morning. With all your worry, with all your concern, you know, you celebrate with your family beforehand or call everybody, you know, phone ministry, prayer, whatever it may be, right? But you show up at 8.30 to get cut. And guess what? You know it's going to hurt. Yeah. You know when after they finish cutting you and excising, whatever needs to be excised, you're going to wake up after that beautiful sleep because that stuff really puts you to sleep. Yeah, you feel nothing while, you know, while it's going on. You don't feel anything. But after it's done and you wake up in that room, that waiting room, what do you feel? Groggy. You feel miserable. Pain. You try to move and you can't. You have tubes all over the place. And now comes the healing period. But guess what? That's a good pain. I think I got one amen on that one. Everybody is everybody else is saying, I don't like what he's saying. God will never do that. Yeah, he does. He cuts out the stuff that's no good. And what happens is we're so used to our old stuff we don't want to let it go. We you know, we want God's blessings, but I want to keep my stuff. I want to keep my misery. I, I, I earned this misery, so I need to keep this. The, yeah, yeah, some people just love their misery. I don't want that stuff anymore because it's keeping me from my better future. When I realize that this process thing is not a dangerous thing, it's actually a very good thing because I'm letting go of stuff that's no good for my better future. I'm letting go of stuff that, that is going to be for my, excuse me, that now in that emptiness it could be filled with better stuff. It could be filled with God's Holy Spirit. It could be filled with new habits, new disciplines, a new way of thinking. Before I knew I was never going to fulfill anything. I knew I was nobody. I knew that everybody hated me. But now, it's different. I know God loves me. And whether people like me a lot, too bad, too bad, too bad. God loves me. Amen. But in the process of it, I let go of some old friends, which by the way, weren't friends at all. (laughs) Some friends, you got to kick them to the curb. Because man, let me tell you, they're just feeding you death toxic. criticizing you somebody said toxic yeah some fri- some friendships are toxic and you got to know what to let go when i came to christ at age 15 age 15 i didn't know any of this but i just knew it was just the right thing to let go of my gang friends it's just i, I just know i had to leave it somehow or another now i realize i don't fit in that thing anymore i don't fit in this mix anymore And I started developing new friends in the church, new spiritual dads and moms in the church, and they started discipling me. They started explaining to me how important my life is, that I would help others. I didn't understand at all. I just knew it was right. Praise God. And as I did, I'm looking at it. Later on, I was able to help some of those guys. Help to get their lives back together. Connect them with God and help to mentor them so they can also uh, have that better future. Praise God. So when God's working on you, it's called process. Say to your neighbor, process. Process. Process Process sometimes is not an easy thing because we want things today. Everybody wants it now. Father, thank you for your blessings. I need your blessing now. I need the bill paid now. And sometimes God says, no, no, no. I need to teach you something more important. It's called patience. The patience of your faith. True faith is, is, is something that you will walk with day to day. And sometimes you don't get answer, the answer right now, but you know it's on its way. You know that it's on its way. I remember years ago when, when this church went through a fire, we were fellowshipping in Harlem in 116th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue for many, many years. And suddenly the building burned down and we could not afford anything next to it because it was just too expensive. So we had to come 20 minutes into the Bronx to get something more affordable. And I was in pain. I was saying, God, you have to do something. You have to do something. And you know, I got a prophetic word. When I least expected it, I got a call from Puerto Rico. And it's interesting that God would move somebody to call me from Puerto Rico. Why not right here? Why not from the church? Why, why, not, why not from the community? Here I am complaining, God, how could you have allowed this? This is a church. We, we don't have a place now. This, is, this was our, we, we, we were working with uh, World Vision. We were working with after school programs. I, I mean, we were hooked up in that place. I, I was one of the pastoral leaders in that community. I, I mean, for years I was there. I was raised there for crying out loud. Now suddenly I'm displaced, suddenly just, just so? And then the prophetic word from Puerto Rico, called call me right up. A lady called me and she says... Are you Victor Nazario? I says, yes. Who may I say is speaking? So well, my name is so-and-so, you do not know me. But the Lord told me in prayer to call you, to reach out to you. He he said, find my servant Victor Nazario in New York City and give him this message. Now, isn't that interesting? You you won't get those type of prophetic words every day. These are like once, twice in a lifetime. But the beauty about it is, here I'm going through suffering. Here I'm thinking God is, you know... I don't know, somehow or another forgotten me for like three, five years or whatever. I'm, going, I'm complaining, I'm upset, I'm kind of offended at God. Because how would you allow this? Yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm just being vulnerable right now. This was not a good place for me to be at. I just, wow. And meanwhile, I taught faith. Oh, yes, I did. But here's what the lady told me that God told her to tell me. She says, the Lord said to tell you to stop complaining while he's putting you through the process. Wow. Now, I like the prophetic words that say, Yay, the Lord will say to you that He loves you. You're His Son. You're a mighty man of God. And, and, and I'm going to take you from victory to victory. I love things like that, Luke. Those are good words. But the prophetic word to me was, Stop complaining. <laughs> pa-pao. papao, right? Yeah. The papao, Spanish folks. Well, papao. Yeah, God had to. Just, he had to. He had to give me some encouragement. He had to. He had to remind me that there's a process. And years ago, he had spoken to us about a vibrant church, a multinational church, a church that would birth other churches, a church that would touch the, the nations. He had to remind me. See, now I give you the prophetic picture. Right. But the thing is, God sometimes doesn't tell you that when he gives you a prophetic picture means. You know what that means? that now there's a process connected with a prophetic picture. Because when he gives you a prophetic picture, it's a picture of your future. You're not there yet. And I love that about Almighty God, because if you would have told me all the stuff I needed to go through, I might not have, oh, Lord, uh, I'll... Next time, next one, all right? <laughs> Sometimes he'll call you, but he won't give you the process just yet. He takes you line upon line, precept upon precept. Then he tells you to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. See, he'll give you enough for today. He won't give, you, give us this week our weekly bread. He, he won't say, give us this month our monthly bread. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Which means I have to ask for bread each and every day. It doesn't infer that I'm helpless. What it infers is relationship. It infers that we're coming into a relationship where I'm going to be journeying with him. He's going to be journeying with me. He's the senior partner. I'm the lesser partner. But we're going to be journeying together. And each and every day, he's going to give me a picture, a a part of the puzzle, as it were. Amen? See, so when we develop that relationship, now everything is secure because day by day, I have my daily bread. I have my daily provision. I have my daily wisdom that I need. And it can help me to... Because to, he, he gave me the macro picture already. Right? So I know what I need to be in the future, but now it will take me step by step on the way. Any successful person understands that in order to achieve a big picture, you have to break it down into smaller goals. You have to. You cannot accomplish huge things in a millisecond, in a, in a moment. You have to process it day by day. So you have to learn. One, one great... Um, uh, I guess encourager, one great leader told me this one day. You prepare your year the year before. You prepare your month the month before. You prepare your week the week before. You prepare your day the day before. That's how successful people operate. They don't just get up one day, oh, wow, what a beautiful day. How are you? Same old, same old. How's How are you doing? Eh, lo mismo de siempre. Same thing all the time, you know. In other words, no, they don't think that way. They think future. Mm -hmm. And I told you a couple of months ago how if you really want to be successful, you need to allow God to show you the picture, right? And then you move into your future picture, visit it, smell it, dress with the clothes of it, Mm -hmm. touch it, you know, walk in it, and then go back to your present and say, okay, now I know what I need to do. Now let me start working out what I need to work out in order to be in that better picture. See, so if I know my future, I'm able to prepare for it now. I'm able to know what school I need to go to, which means I know what studies I don't need anymore. See, there's uh, what type of friends I need. You know why? They're already successful and they're operating in that realm, so now I need to seek out those type of people in order to help me. You understand what I'm saying? When I first became a pastor years ago, uh, about 20, 21 years ago, um, they, they ordained me, oh, now I'm pastor. Okay, you know the first thing I just felt I needed to do? I don't know what I know now, but I just knew enough to start seeking out other pastors. So I remember one day, I went to a pastoral fellowship in Brooklyn. I just showed up. I heard that they were meeting. I did not get an invitation. I just showed up. You, know, you ever crash the party? I crashed the pastoral party. And I went, I mean, I'm talking about it like this. What do I mean? I, I didn't deserve to be there. I didn't have the right to be there because there were bishops, apostles, pastors, TV pastors. When I got there, I went, <sighs> and they were all praying in a circle in the main sanctuary. And I walked up to the place while they were praying and I took a hand, they were all holding hands. I took a hand, another hand, broke the hand and then just snuck right in. <laughs> so help me that's exactly what I did. And then they opened up the eyes couple of guys other guys opened up the eyes went, They all looked at me. And they looked at each other. Looked at me again and then kept on praying. <laughs> so so what I did was I just I went Hallelujah. Go over there. So I just I just prayed and shut up. That's that's what I did. So you know out of that meeting I went back the next Tuesday and the next Tuesday and the next I just continued to show up and after a while I became one of the regulars not because I was ever invited but I just knew that I had to hang out with those guys in order to become the picture that God showed me so what does that mean then who are you hanging out with now remember uh, there's, there's a saying in Spanish. Dime con quien tú anda y yo te diré quién tú eres. Tell me with whom you walk with, I will tell you who you will become or who you are. See, so I need to know by revelation who I need to hang out with and who I need to you know because they're not going to take me to that place of my calling of 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 my uniqueness. God created me unique. They don't know who I am. And what happens is and, and I, I just uh, I, my heart is constantly crying for the young people, constantly. And today with these, these crazy, insane things they're getting involved that we see with TV, they're punching anybody that they can find. you know, that's not their purpose. They're so much higher, so much more important than that, to, to be devolving into these behaviors. But the point is they don't know who they are. That's why they do that. See, a, a, a prince is trained from childhood how to walk and how to yeah. talk. By the time they're teenagers, you see them walking like this. Yeah. Why? Because they were taught. See, because they, they understand it's a clear purpose. They're going to represent the nation. But if as a young person, you're not mentored properly, if, you're not, if, if, if your parents are not there or, or, or if, you're, if you have too much free time, you're caught up with the wrong group, what's going to happen? Right. They're going to mentor you. And they're going to train you to be like they are. And unfortunately, we're losing a lot of our young kids because of the lack of mentorship. And one of the things that's coming back to the body of Christ, one of the things that are coming back to the local church is the need for spiritual dads and moms to be there ready to mentor the young men and women. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. When I was 15, I knew I was going nowhere. When I was 15, I was alcoholic on the way. Why? Because that's what my parents were doing in the community. All I needed was the gun. That was all that was left. That's all that was left. But when I came to church, they gave me another picture, another future, another potential. And, And God started ministering to me at 15 years old in that local congregation. And those spiritual dads and moms, they took me by the ear. No, no, you don't do that. No, no, that's not the way you do it. Look what the word says about you. You're, you're special. You're a prince. You're, 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 a, you're a child of the king. You're going to minister the word of God. The spirit of God is in you. They, little by little, they started taking me higher and higher and higher. And after a while, I just knew enough. Get away from this. That doesn't serve me. Get away from this. That does not serve my future properly. Amen. Amen. And I was the first one. I said this last week. I'll say it again. I was the first one to get a high school diploma in my house. First one. I have nobody to teach me in my family. I was the first one that got a bachelor's degree. First one that got a a master's degree. First one that wrote a book. First one that got a doctorate degree. First one. I had no models at home. But guess what? The models were in the house. The models were in, in the kingdom of God. They were in the local church. That's why it's important that each and every every one of you realize the gift that God gives us, it's not only something that He gives us, now He positions us to be able to give to others. And your uniqueness is so special, and you can never downgrade or speak down on who you are, who God called you to be, because you're too precious. You're too important in the plan of God. And the thing about it is God always invites us to this master plan. He invites us to partner with Him. He already knows what he placed in you. Now he invites us, and when we say yes, now he starts revealing what he already placed inside of you. Amen. Dr. Miles Monroe said years ago, something that moved me greatly and changed the way I think about myself. He said that when God made Adam, he took Adam out of the dirt, you know, formed the dirt, right? made the body, then he put his wife inside of his body. Then he put his children inside his body. Then he put his grandchildren inside his body. Then he put his great-grandchildren inside his body. Then he put the whole nation of Israel inside his body. Then he put all the Gentiles in his body. All the Muslims, the Buddhists, everyone in his body. He put you and me in his body. He put all of creation, you know, in terms of humans, in his body. And when God finished every single person dreaming them up and thinking about their uniqueness and each and every person he endowed with, with giftings and abilities once he finished all of that all the Asians all, all the, 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 the South and Central Americans all, all the, 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 the Russians and the Italians all of them every single one of them after he finished everything then he closed Adam up breathed that Adam after he finished then he says now begin." Now begin what I already finished. You see, so that moved me because God in His His sovereignty, He already knew us before we were ever formed. He already created us in His image and in His likeness and also He created us in a place that we didn't contact yet, that we did not understand, we did not know. We were unformed substance at that time. And so when we were born, he puts our parents together, links them up, and he says, and once the is now begin what I already finished. Wow. wow. <laughs> so you and me, we're already a finished product, but we're in process. We, we, we are becoming that which he has determined for us to be. But here's the problem. Because we are men and women here on earth, we have the freedom yeah. to follow him. We have the freedom to become all that he called us to be because he's already given us all that we need. We already have giftings. Some of us have chosen to use our giftings for the world only or for entertainment only or for finance only. And we don't give glory to God. Remember last week, the lepers, they received from God, they received the gift from God, the healing from God, but they did not come back to give him thanks. But one of them came back and gave thanks. And Jesus said, Okay, you're here. Where, were, where are the other nine? Why, were, why did they not come back to give glory to God? Why didn't they thank, come back and thank God and give glory to Him? So with our lives, if we choose to partner with Him, we give glory to Him. See, it's not all about, wow, I'm going to become a pastor. Why? Because that's the only ministry that, that's out there. No, wrong, 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 wrong. There are ministries that most of us don't even think about. There's ministry to the workplace. There's ministry to community. There's ministry to family. I mean, who raised Billy Graham? That was her ministry to raise a man that would get millions saved. Who raised a T.D. Jakes, for example? You understand? Uh, There are ministries that we don't look at. at, Well, that's not very glamorous. I want to be the man of God. I want to be the woman of God. I want the world to know me. Frankly, I don't care if the world ever knows me or not. Right now, I'm in my place. And I'm giving glory to God because I'm in my place. I don't give glory to God thinking I'm big and bad. And I've arrived. And now the world loves me. Sometimes the greatest ministries, the world will hate you. Because you're pointing them to God and they don't like that. Hello? You understand? So when I consider this precious gift, this Lord Jesus that was born to be a king, born to literally be consumed as a sacrifice, born to die for us, what did he give? He gave us everything. He reconnected us with Almighty God. The greatest thing that I could consider regarding salvation, the word salvation means a lot of things. It's not just one word. It's a compound word. That means taking care of you provisionally, protecting you from danger. Amen? And, and just bringing you to your purpose. It's, it's a very uh, a, a juicy word. There's a lot in there. Uh, it's all-encompassing, salvation is. But what I love about this is the fact that we were not the family of God. If you read John chapter 1, it says we're creations of God, but He gives us the power through Christ to become children of God. So when we come to Christ, what happens is He adopts us into His family. See, that's a big difference. He doesn't say, okay, now you could bow before me. I'm your God and you are just a little peon. You know, you're nothing, but you can, I give you permission to worship me now. No, that's not what he says. He says, now call me father. Hallelujah. Oh my God, there's nothing more precious than that. Praise God. See, now, not for nothing, but when I go to my home, I mean, my, my dad is already in heaven with Jesus. But my mom's still alive. And some of you know her. She comes here from time to time. can't make it all the time. She's a little, you know, she's got her physical limitations now. But when she comes, she always asks me about you every week. Every time, ¿Cómo está la iglesia, mijito? how's the church? I said, the church is fine. It's growing. They're beautiful. And it's really becoming all it's supposed to be. So, que bueno, que bueno. And then she goes on to tell me, don't forget, when I hit the lotto, I'm going to buy you a church. She'll she'll never stop saying that. I said, don't worry, mom. We're doing it anyway. We don't depend on lotos. We depend on hard work and unity and community. So Anyway, but the point is, when I come to her house, not only does she get excited to have me there, immediately she smiles. She hugs me. And then she comes in. Then she wants, Do you want some coffee? Mom, I don't drink coffee. I drink tea. Okay, I got tea here too for you. She gets tea. She saves it specifically when I show up. She'll offer me a sandwich. She'll offer me... Why? Just because I'm me. What do you mean? I'm her son. In other words, I have access to everything in that house. She tells me the other day, remember, this is here, this is there. When I die, this goes to you, this goes to your brother. Remember, she's already telling me after she's gone, she wants me to have this and this and this. Why? Because I'm her son. It's family. God, when he, in Christ connected us he wasn't saying now i'll be your god only he was saying i'll be your father which has a connotation of family which means when i come into the house of god i don't have to pray to god like he's a stranger I come to Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, I have a pain. What do you saying, my son? How can I minister to you? Hallelujah. Praise Hallelujah. God. As remember, son, I have many names. I am Jehovah Jireh. I'm the Lord that provides for you. I'm Jehovah Nisi. I'm, Jeho- I'm, I'm your banner. In case anybody's messing with you, I got your back. Yeah. Right? Uh, One of the most funniest experiences, and some of you heard it, but for those that haven't heard it, I'll share it once again. Uh, You know, if you stay in a church any number of times, you'll hear the pastor's message over and over. But this one I like. I remember when I was in high school, uh, I was in the lunchroom, and uh, I was already a senior. You know, seniors are the big and bad people there, right? You know that, right? A couple of seniors right over there. So I saw some freshmen And some of these freshmen, you know, their, their voice didn't change yet. You know, they would talk really high. And, and you know, we'd joke, ah, freshmen, ah, freshmen. You know, because we were the seniors. One of the freshmen goes to the door. And the, you can't come in or out once you are in the Samuel Gumpers lunchroom. In my days. You couldn't get out. They did not allow you to get out. But this freshman comes up to the door where the guard is. And he goes, let me out. And I'm looking at that. I am said, freshman trying to get out, huh? And, and so freshman goes, up and let me out. So you know what the, the guard did? The guard went like this, moved out and let the freshman out. And then God ministered to me right there. You know why? It wasn't that the freshman was so big and bad. Behind the freshman, there was this big dude. That's right, he's with me. So they opened up the door, not because the freshman was big and bad, but because... This big six foot something guy you know he authorized the passage of the freshman right so God spoke to me right there so you see son that's what I do for you when you go to the devil devil come out in the name of Jesus <laughs> right what does the devil look is he a little freshman you run I could destroy <laughs> you in a heartbeat <clears throat> but then Jesus is right behind me saying get out of the way get me behind him because I got his back <laughs> Praise God. And I learned that day. It's not that I'm big and bad, it's my relationships count. I have relationships. I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God. Amen. And, and God dispatches an angel for me each and every day. I've got goodness and mercy that follows me every day. Amen. Out of that gift, I have, I have a power, I have powerful life, I have His spirit that lives inside of me, so I have the wisdom of God flowing in me. I have his word, his life manual. There's so much I have because of that gift. Amen. And as we come into this, into this holi- ho- holiday season, when people tell you happy holidays, say Merry Christmas. Amen. Say, you, maybe have a blessed Christmas, may, may the power of Jesus shine on you. This is a day we have to be more overt. I mean, everything's coming out of the closet except for Christians. They're trying to push Christians into the closet. No, you, you come out and you shine. By the way, by the way, where does light have more effectiveness? In a little closet or in the center of a room? So it's time you let your light shine because the gift not only ministers to you, the gift ministers through you. Amen? Where is salt most effective? Salt is a preservative. Isn't it? But salt, I mean, some of you had turkey, right? Some of you had uh, nice patties uh, this uh, time around, arroz con gandules, and you had all the good stuff, right? Do you have at least a little salt? Yes. Why? It's not important. Flavor, exactly right. Salt flavors everything. And when I first came to the latest assignment I have, I went in there. Fix my office the way I want to. Put the pictures I want to. I started, you know, my Bible right there, right? Okay. So now when everybody comes in, you know, you, they're cursing, they're smoking. I said, do you me a favor. When you're in this room, could you please refrain from that? See, I'm not saying to them I'm big and bad. I just wanted to let them know that I'm here and I'm going to salt this place. Amen. And little by little, they started shifting and changing. Now when they come to the office, they don't have to come in with footness. You know what a footnote is, those four-letter words? Yeah, every, every fourth or fifth word contains a footnote. But no, no longer, not, not in my place, right? Why? Because I salt the place. There's an atmosphere that I create with my worship, with my lifestyle, with, with, with my disciplines, praise God, where they come and they just know that they know. Like this man or not, he's the real deal, right? So this, that's what we need to do during this season. We have to be a gift. We have to be God's answer to your community, to your family. I've stopped waiting for people to make things happen. Amen. Oh, when it happens, then I'll join them. No, 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 no. Sometimes God just wants to initiate something through me. Sometimes God just wants to initiate something through you. If, if there's no small group, maybe you're the one that's called to create that small group. If nobody's praying, maybe you're the one that's called to pray if nobody's testifying, maybe you're the one in a long line of people that are on their way, but you're the one that's going to initiate the doorway that others are coming through. Praise God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe everybody around you is all messed up and maybe you're the one that's going to start bringing the healing. Why? Because not only is God's gift a gift to you, but now you are an extension of God's gift to the world. Say to your neighbor, you're a gift. You're a gift. Tell somebody else, you're a gift. And the greatest gift is Jesus in our hearts. Why? He didn't come to create churches, four walls. He didn't come to create religion. He came to bring relationship. He, ta- he came to connect us with the Heavenly Father. He came to make us sons and daughters once again through his sacrifice. Never ever see a Christianity again as a religion. It's relationship. Right? I, I-, I don't belong to a religion called Nazarioism. I am in relationship with my mom. I'm in relationship with my dad. So they gave me. Amen. You got it? Amen. Christianity, Christian or Christ follower. Christian, Christ wow. follower. Or children of God. Hallelujah. See, it needs to be redefined. We've lost it somewhere. We, we've compartmentalized it. Uh, we've uh, marketed it. In in a way, just to make money. Christmas, okay. Let's open the doors and sell a lot more stuff. Ten percent off. That's not what this season is all about. Let them do what they're gonna do, but let us bring back the true, true, the true reason for the season.